Pardek would like to acknowledge and pay respects to the traditional owners of the land we record on, the Wadjuk people. We also acknowledge the role of Aboriginal people as the first scientists in Australia. Welcome to the Particle Podcast, where we talk about science and the people who just love it. I'm your host, Rose Kerr, and this season, we're deep diving on the environment. Today, I'm joined by Max Anderson-Loke, Rhodes Scholar for 2020, who's using big data to solve big problems. He stopped by to chat about, honestly, so many different things, but also about how he would love to be a Nutri-Grain spokesperson. So Nutri-Grain, if you're listening, we've got someone for you. Welcome to the podcast, Max. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. To start off, I promise this is hopefully kind of an easy question. What do you do? Okay, so I'm just currently wrapping up my honours in mathematics and statistics at the University of Western Australia. Uh, This year, my honours has involved uh, modelling wind measurements on Australia's northwest shelf. So Australia's northwest shelf is a pretty economically significant region. It accounts for more than one third of the nation's oil and gas production. Um, And as you can imagine, the offshore environment can be pretty volatile. Um, And so basically, I've been looking at the forecasts of the wind measurements, if they have any biases, and how can we correct those biases and estimate the associated uncertainty. So that's kind of what I've been doing my honours on this year using statistics. Yeah, so the maths part of it does just come through with statistics. Mm -hmm. That's so interesting. Do you find that maths as a subject, does it feel like it's opened you up to lots of opportunities or does it feel quite like specific? No, I absolutely feel like maths has opened me up to many, many opportunities Everything in the world has maths at its core, in my opinion. Um, I see maths in everything I do. And even looking at the different projects that different honours students have been doing in my cohort, there are some who are looking at um, university results and maths anxiety, other people who are looking at sports, other people are looking at ocean density. So there's a huge range of uh, different avenues that you can go down studying maths. Because maths at school is Mm -hmm. a little bit nerdy. It's a little bit... I don't know, it could be seen as a, a difficult subject to take. Why did you pick to do, did you say philosophy and maths, two subjects that are seen as very challenging subjects? Yeah, so I'm, I'm doing the Bachelor of Philosophy at UWA mm-hmm. and contrary to the name, it doesn't actually involve the study of philosophy. So um, Bachelor of Philosophy is essentially the same as just doing a Bachelor of Science except it includes the honours year at UWA and a slightly greater focus on research throughout. Um, But for me, I, yeah, I loved maths the whole way through school. I was really lucky to have some incredible maths teachers the whole way through who um, exposed me to the different applications that maths Mm. have. I can remember in year six, uh, we would have double period maths on a Thursday and we'd always do some kind of project and an experiment that we'd analyze using maths. So for example, one we had was we'd shoot soccer balls through a goal post from different angles and we'd look at how our um, percentage hit rate change from different angles. And I think doing things like that throughout early years really exposed me to how cool maths is and how applicable it is. Um, and so I've been really lucky to have that because it's always been something that's really appealed to me and it kind of made sense just for me to continue on into university. When you left school, do you think you would have guessed where you're at now? 
no, definitely not. <laughs> I don't think. Uh, leaving school, I knew I wanted to do maths as my first major, mm-hmm. I think. Um, my second major had no idea what I wanted to do and I kind of left my doors open to doing psychology, neuroscience, even medicine. I took a lot of kind of broader units in first year just to leave my options open because I really had no idea what it was that I wanted to study. Um, and UWA is really good for that because you can choose those different units and then choose actually select your major a little bit later on. Um, but I had really very little idea about the different opportunities maths could open up. I didn't know whether I wanted to do pure applied or stats and I've ended up doing stats, but yeah, I've had very little idea about where I wanted to actually go. I'm not, I'm not very much a, a long-term thinker. I like to think in the moment and the opportunities that are coming up immediately. Mm. Um, I'm not a five year, 10 year goal sort of person typically. That's um, fine. Yeah. It's a bit hard to do anyway. Yeah. Was uni what you expected? I think, well, definitely not um, in that (laughs) it's so much more social, Mm. club-based, all the different opportunities that uni has. Like I had no idea that there's a Quidditch club at uni. (laughs) I had no idea how many cafes there were, how Mm. huge it was, all that sort of side, the the incredible social side that comes along with uni. Um, I think one misconception I might have had, and this is probably different to what most people would say, was the uni was actually a bit harder than I expected. Yeah. I can remember in school, people always said to me, oh, uni is such a breeze once you get mm. through school. Um, but I actually found it's, it's been probably still a little bit less stressful than school, but it, it's still a pretty heavy workload, I'd yeah. say. Yeah, and that's good to point out because I agree. I heard that at school where they're like, oh, it's nothing compared to year 12. Yeah. And it makes you feel bad when it gets hard. But yeah. it, it, it can be really challenging. <laughs> yeah, especially when everything comes up at the same time and mm. you have assignments due and exams coming up and they don't... Uh, they don't really schedule it the way school does. School's pretty good at knowing when you have heaps on and kind of the different teachers will liaise and try to balance it. But I definitely haven't found that at uni. Having read a little bit of a media release about you, Max, I do know that you have a lot of kind of out of uni commitments. Could you walk us through a few of those? Yeah, absolutely. So my first one is probably Surf Club. So I'm a member of the City of Perth Surf Lifesaving Club, which is the surf club down at City Beach. Um, I'm a patrol captain there, so that's voluntary patrols over the summer. Um, And then also through that, I do Surf Ironman. So Surf Ironman, it's kind of like a triathlon, but like a surf surf version. So there's swimming, like board paddling, like the board, say, paddle on Bondi Rescue kind of. (laughs) And then also ski paddling, which is... um, kind of like kayaking but on a surf ski Mm -hmm. um and the training for that's pretty intense i i swim um five mornings a week and then i'm at the beach pretty much every afternoon training as well so it's normally 11 or 12 sessions a week so it's quite intense and sometimes that can be hard to balance around uni um but i also find it really good because when i need a break from my uni work there's Mm. nothing better than going out in the waves and getting absolutely dumped it's a pretty good um refresher and it takes your mind off things yeah that's true so i really love that and then the other kind of main commitment that i have is that i'm involved in an organization called ignite mentoring so it's an organization that works with students from lower socioeconomic schools and we basically run um, mentoring programs and i've been a mentor and coordinator there for the last like three and a half years Um, and the last couple of years i've also been on the executive so kind of that's the main club that I've been involved in at uni so it's really great socially I've met some awesome people through it um, I've 
obviously got to have an impact on the students, which I've really loved. And also I've developed a lot of skills through being involved, I'd say. I have so many questions of mm-hmm. both of those things. Yeah. But I guess my first one is just that we talked about how uni is really social and sometimes uni is really hard. Yeah. How do you just actually have time to do it all? Yeah, I would say the first thing is com- compartmentalise. Compartmentalising, yeah, yes. Yeah, yep, that yep, yep. word. <laughs> um, when I'm studying, I try to study really hard. Mm-hmm. When I'm training, I try to tra- train really hard. And mm-hmm. when, I'm, when I'm with friends, I really try to decompress and enjoy my time with them. Um, and so I find that that helps me stay on track with uni. I think mm. there's only so many hours in a day you can study before you get less productive. Um, and so I try to make the most of those hours. And then when I have my other things, then I try to make the most of that time as well. Um, I would say that I also like to try and stay as organized as I can. Um, it can be hard to juggle a lot of things, especially work as well. Um, so staying organized helps me balance those things yeah um the elite athlete program at uwa has also been really helpful um in supporting me through training hard and having competitions sometimes in wa sometimes over east um, while studying is it something that you've always been like since you were a kid like always done lots of different academic and sport related things um I did swimming through school Mm. i played violin at school but i was absolutely useless (laughs) um Uh, I would say I've been involved in surf club for a long time. So I started nippers in under seven Mm. and probably since uh, year eight, I've been training at that sort of level 11 or 12 times a week. And so even during year 12, I was balancing that training with my workload and I was also doing debating in year 12 as well. So I'm pretty used to having juggling a few balls at once. um, And I think now it's the norm. I, I find that I'm much more productive and also much happier when I'm busy than when I am on holidays, not really knowing what to do with myself. Yeah. All of those things you've achieved quite highly in, is that something that, do you consider yourself like a high achiever or is this just you kind of be like, no, this is my life. Like, how does it, because I'm sure people say, wow, you're really good at these things. Like, how is that reflected in yourself? Yeah, I would say academically has come quite naturally to me. Um, sports I would never say I'm a natural high achiever though Um, I in surf sports I'm competing against a lot of people who have been surfing since the time they were toddlers Mm. Um, and uh, I was born in the UK so only moved here a little bit later and so I don't really have the same surf skills a lot of those people so I'd say that's not something that comes super naturally to me um, and so I wouldn't say I'm a natural high achiever in the sports department um, but I'd say I'm very disciplined mm-hmm. and when I set my mind to something and I have a goal I'll try to work hard towards it. Is your family also academically minded? Uh I'd say somewhat. My my brother um, initially started an engineering degree and then he went on and did sports science and now he's actually the general manager at the surf club. Oh. So we're all – the surf club's kind of a family affair because dad manages the a lot of the, the gear and the equipment. Mum manages the patrols and the beach operations. My brother's a general manager and I'm kind of there, probably the least involved <laughs> actually. Uh-huh. Um, so, yeah, my brother is very much – the opposite of me I'd say in that he's 
very much a kind of go with the flow mm. person. He's incredibly social and people absolutely love spending time with him. He's really, really cool person, <laughs> like so social. Um, probably not as academically focused as I am just because he loves his people and spending time with people and I don't think he can stay holed up in a room studying all day. Mm. Um, my dad is a geophysicist, oh, so wow. quite science-based as well. Um and mum is a personal trainer and then also manages huh. the beach side. So I, I guess I've kind of got the science and the sporty yeah. side from mum and dad. There was no escaping it. No, <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, I'd say my, never, my family never really pushed me hard down the academic side. I was always quite I, – I can remember they always were very much more onto the active side. So mm. they'd take us bike riding and walking up hills and all that sort of thing in the UK – um, academics was something that I kind of found myself and really do- dove into on my own accord, I'd say. That's so interesting. And I love that, like the idea of this little kid. He's like, no, I just really like maths. Yeah. <laughs> no one told me how to do this, wanted to. Yeah, my family kind of had this in-joke about any time one of us has success or like we do something well, we always say it's because mum and dad got us on a bicycle at two months old or something because <laughs> mum and dad think that because they got us on a bicycle so early, that's why oh, we are success. okay at sports. Yeah. <laughs> I'd love to know a bit more about the Ignite mentoring. How does the program work? What actually happens within within the program? So each semester, uh, so we run in semesters, most of our mentors are university students. Um, we run a nine-week program. So we go out to a school for one hour a week and just work with the students through a range of activities. So this most recent semester, I've been at Balga Senior High School and I've working, been working with some students who are English as a second language, mm-hmm. so ESL. Um, and basically we spend the one hour a week with them, do activities to try and encourage them to feel more confident speaking English oh, with us. Yeah. Um, and so we play games with them, we chat to them, all kinds of things. It was actually really tough at the start because there's a kind of a big cultural gap that yeah. we quite weren't prepared for we'd talk about Justin Bieber and Ariana Grande and that sort of thing and normally when we talk about that with students they're straight onto it and it's really easy to start a conversation Mm. but it's a little bit more challenging um and they kind of looked blankly back at us (laughs) um but yeah over the course of the semester we've really seen an increase in their confidence and Mm. by the end we had them speaking up in front of the class presenting um giving little stories for the class so it's a really rewarding experience I've loved being involved in it um one of the main things that I've found is that the kids are so creative intelligent hilarious and a lot of them don't really realize that Mm. so I think one of our main roles is just to go into the classroom and remind them of that and have that kind of cheerleader in their corner even if it's just once a week that is so lovely it's interesting to see a program that is devoted to like confidence because it's Mm -hmm. not something that you kind of go like oh kids need to be good at school maybe they need to be good at like letting music or whatever it is um what was the role in like having confidence when you were at school was that something were you a confident kid was that something you saw as being important looking back I think 
I went through uh, waves of being really confident and also sometimes having a, a little bit of self-doubt. But I was very lucky in that I always had an incredible support system around me. So both the school, also family and friends. And if I was feeling a little bit down, they would always be there to support mm. me and have my back and say, if, if you work hard and you get back up, then you'll be able to achieve it. Um, I think a lot of the students at these schools often don't have that. Mm. Um, and so that's why it can be a lot challenge, more challenging for them to kind of bounce back from those challenges that they face at school. Yeah. And would you say that those kind of skills in being confident and knowing yourself will be, what are you hoping they get out of it in the long run? Yeah, absolutely. So the kind of the way Ignite formed is that our, that our founder, Ilana, nine years ago, she was trying to tutor the students at Balga. Um, basically teaching them English and mm. found that the problem wasn't with their vocabulary or their, their knowledge of the subject, but it was actually in their confidence. Mm. And so she, she shifted the focus from the tutoring to more the confidence side and having the soft skills and the confidence in your own soft skills. So your public speaking, your communication, your teamwork, because if you believe in yourself in those skills, then you can go and apply them to everything and any academic subject. Um, so kind of, yeah, helping them develop the confidence so that they can apply those things to everything they set their mind at into the future rather than just focusing on a specific subject. You're just wrapping up your honours year, mm -hmm. writing a thesis. Yeah. It can be really tough. How did you find writing your honours thesis? Yeah, I found it pretty huge. Um, my thesis has definitely been my baby this year. Um, <laughs> had to miss a few things with friends just in the library working mm. on it. Um, through semester one, I kind of plodded along, not really expecting how much work it was actually going to be. Yeah. And then at the start of semester two, when I actually started writing it up and I had this 75-page document to create mm. that I hadn't started yet, plus units at uni, um, it got quite overwhelming for a little bit there. So I had to work really hard at it over that time. Um, but I was very lucky to have two really incredible supervisors, um, Edward Cripps, who's at the Statistics Department at UWA, and also Lachlan Astvalk, who's at the University of Leeds, and they really helped me through that time. Um, I think this year was especially tough because at the start of the year we were in lockdown, so yeah. I couldn't actually meet with my supervisors. So there were times where we were over Zoom and they were writing maths equations down on paper and then holding it up to the camera, trying to hold it steady so that I could read what I needed to be doing. Um, so that was a little bit tricky, but luckily things opened up and we were able to meet in person again and get through it. One of the questions one of our um, Particle team members wanted to know was kind of how did you go mental health wise did you feel like your brain just kind of went to mush at any time or were you able to just stay clear-headed yeah no it was definitely a, a, t a tough time um because training shut down as well so of I course. kind of had to s start everything back up and find yeah. a, a new kind of support system so I'd try and go for a run most mornings mm -hmm. just to keep myself healthy I did a bit of yoga with mum um and I also set up some zoom sessions with my friends where we do zumba online oh, together so um and that was really fun and just tried to do things like that to try and keep me in a good headspace mm -hmm. um I was lucky in that I found it didn't affect my uni productivity too much. Yeah. Um, my supervisors really helped me push through it, had a really good cohort, and we were kind of stuck together through that time to help motivate ourselves through yeah. the uni work during that time. So you are the newest 
Rhodes Scholar, unless there's been a sneaky, sneaky one in the last <laughs> few weeks. Uh, could you explain what that actually means? Okay, so basically a, a Rhodes Scholarship is a scholarship to go and study at the University of Oxford for two or three years. Bonus fun fact. The Rhodes Scholarship, the international postgraduate award that Max has been talking about, was established way back in 1902. And that means in 2022, it will be the 100-year anniversary. Some famous Rhodes Scholarship winners you might remember are Malcolm Turnbull and the late Bob Hawke. Um, So it's open to people who have completed an honours or a master's or even a PhD um, to go and study at Oxford. Um, Basically, it's looking for people who I think are not only academically um, strong, but also have uh, been involved in either sports or arts Mm. or performance or something like that, and also um, committed to the community. So looking through the bios of um, the people who have been selected, it's pretty inspiring to see all the the amazing things that they've done in addition to their studies. And I think that's kind of what the selection panel look for. Was it a surprise to win? Or did you think, yeah, I've got this? No, absolutely. It was a huge (laughs) surprise. Um, During the application process, I was kind of in the headspace that it would be amazing if I got it but the the likelihood that it was that I probably wouldn't be so I just tried to enjoy it and get the most out of the time with the selection panel and Mm. just try to treat it like interesting conversations that I was having with them um so yeah a huge surprise um even looking through the bios of the other people who've been selected this year from other states I find it really in quite intimidating and I almost feel like a bit of a fraud being up there um So it's a a very cool group to be a part of, but definitely surprising. When you get over to Oxford, what's the expectation for what you will study? Is is it open to anything? So at the moment, I think there's still a little bit of flexibility. Mm. What I want to study is a DPhil, which I think is what Oxford called their PhDs, um, in modern statistics and statistical machine learning. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I think it would be very, very cool... um, uh, Pro uh, degree yeah. for me yeah. um, because I think the first year you get exposed to a couple of mini projects where you get to work alongside supervisors and then the next three years you do your PhD project and I think what's really cool about the course is that it's um, very applied mm. in that they've got a lot of industry partners and you're using maths to solve real world problems which is what I really want to be doing with my career. How do you feel about moving over to England? Yeah, it'll be hard. Um, I'll definitely uh, miss my family, friends and also the beach and my two cats. Oh my goodness, the beach. Yeah, it'll be tough. That's a different lifestyle altogether. Absolutely. I think I'm going to have to take up rowing. Yes. Um, I think that'd be really cool. My brother rows surf boats, so I'm going to try get him to get me in one for a little bit of practice before I head over. Um, But yeah, going to miss a lot of things about uh, Perth, but it's also incredibly exciting, and I think there's going to be some amazing things at Oxford that'll absolutely make up for it. Oh, it'll be a huge adventure, mm-hmm. and you'll yeah. feel like you're in the movies. Yeah, it'll be absolutely. <laughs> I'm just so excited to go to those um, sit exams in my robes, and then go go for the college dinners yes. and all that sort of thing. It'll be amazing. Yeah. Do they put you in contact with like other Rhodes scholars that are around at the time, or? Yeah, I think so. I think. What's really special about the Rhodes Scholarship is the network. Mm. Um, so 
I think over the next year, we're going to be doing some Zooms with Zoom coffee catch-ups with the other scholars of this year. And I think we'll also be catching up once we get over there. Um, but also the previous scholars who are currently at Oxford and also uh, moved on. I've already got a couple of emails from people over there who think it'd be cool to catch up and oh. chat about research and that sort of thing. How does it feel to win an award that's regarded as being just so prestigious? It feels very surreal yeah. and it still hasn't really sunk in. Um, the last probably week and a half has been a bit of a whirlwind um, I'm just now, I think I'm just going to try and treat it as this incredible opportunity to mm. go and study at Oxford. I don't want to put too much pressure on myself that I have this scholarship and I have to, you know, make everybody the, the most, you know, do the most incredible things. I just want to go study, work hard and mm. kind of pursue um, what my goals were beforehand. I don't want to put too much pressure on myself, I think. But yeah, it, it has been incredibly surreal and a really cool experience. Keeping in mind that you said you weren't someone who creates long-term plans, mm -hmm. do you know what you're hoping to get out of the DPhil? Yeah. So what I'm really interested in is how we can use statistics or data analysis or statistical modelling to kind of solve real-world problems. One of them that I'd really like to look at is um, disaster response and recovery. Um, so we've seen a lot of examples of how we can use statistical modeling in response to natural disasters. So for example, during the bushfires earlier this year, CSIRO developed some models that allowed us to predict the spread of the bushfires based on kind of vegetation, terrain, uh, climate, weather forecast, all that sort of thing to mm. kind of predict where the fires were going to go so that they could then plan their responses. Um, something that's happened at the University of Oxford kind of recently or over the last few years, um, they've been looking at machine learning and how we can use that. So one example is that um, during Hurricane Dorian, um, they had satellite images of before and after the disaster took place. And so basically they crowdsourced people to compare the images and, and identify where the oh. biggest impact would be. And then they'd use machine learning so the computers could Interprets learn from the, the people to yeah. interpret and see where the impact had occurred. So that over time it got faster and faster as the computers learned how to wow. do that. And then they used that to generate heat maps and of where the most responses needed and then use that for governments and also response agencies. So I think that sort of thing about how we can use data and statistical modeling in those real world scenarios, I think that'd be something that I'd love to be a part of. Yeah, that's fa absolutely fascinating. I had no idea that that was a thing that existed. Does that kind of tie a little bit back into then what you were doing in honours, how you're looking at wind and stuff, because that's also using data with the environment? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's definitely um, similar statistical uh, skills that you're using. I think a lot of it is um, Bayesian statistics and mm. how we can use that and our, our associate un uncertainty to in these um, situations. Um, and I think I'm just trying to build up that toolkit and that knowledge so that then I can go over and apply it to different problems. Yeah. Do you like that idea of working in kind of a multidisciplinary science topic? Yeah, absolutely. Something that definitely appealed to me about maths in addition to the other things I've uh, uh, talked about earlier is that 
I never really knew exactly what it was that I wanted to study for my whole life or investigate for my whole life. So the amazing thing about maths is that I can use it and apply it to a range of different scenarios. So maybe I could spend a portion of my life using maths for natural disasters Mm. and then I could go on and look at education or different areas um, kind of and see where my career takes me. Um, And I think cross-disciplinary is also really cool because you get to work with a bunch of different people um and I really like working with other people because you learn so much from them and it's also just a good time let's jump across to some of our questionable questions from the particle team did you get anything fun from your scholarship like is there a secret club do you get like a ring? Is there a Facebook group for Rhodes Scholars or do you get to talk to XPMs? <laughs> um, yeah, there's a there's been a few cool things. So um, there's, cool, there's this Rhodes Connect kind of platform online, we're, which we're all on. And Ooh. I think the idea is that we can kind of chat and network through that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure how many of the old scholars are on it currently. Do so they I'm not sure how. Yeah. Good question. Um, <laughs> Um, so I haven't made use of that yet. Um, at the presentation, um, Kim, the Honourable Kim Beasley was mm-hmm. there um, and he gave me a governor's coin, which Ooh. I don't know what that means or what it is, but I thought that was quite cool. Does, is it like a, does it look like a coin? It just looks like a coin oh, and it says a governor's coin great. on it or something. So that was very cool and I've got that <laughs> stashed in my cupboard for safekeeping. Um yeah, I think that's the extent yeah. of the secret hey, exciting stuff. There's that's yeah, great. nothing yeah, nothing super amazing. I'm yeah. Now, coin and a group, that'll mm-hmm. that's good. Do you have a favorite equation? <laughs> a favorite equation I think is a bit of a stretch. Okay. Um the equation that I probably like the most um is probably Bayes' rule. So statistics has kind of two main schools of thought. There's the frequentist school of thought, which is kind of the way that most of us are taught through um, through school and also early uni. And then there's also um, the Bayesian school of thought. Um, and so this, my honours project has mostly been using Bayesian statistics and that's kind of underpinned by Bayes' rule. Okay. And so Bayes' rule or Bayes' theorem is probably my favourite equation because I've used it quite a lot in my honours project this year. Yeah, good. All right. I'm surprised you're not traumatised by it, but I'm... <laughs> yeah, a few weeks ago probably would have been, but yeah. I'm slowly recovering now. Okay. <laughs> Will you be our next Prime Minister? <laughs> <laughs> um, definitely not, I don't think. I don't think politics is something that hugely appeals to me. Um, uh, I'd definitely say that maths and stat is, stats is where my head's at now yeah. and where I want to be in yeah. the near future. As I said, I don't think that far ahead, but I definitely don't think politics is my game. <laughs> if we're going to take a guess, we'd say probably not. You've competed in some quite big competitions uh, for your, uh, I guess we'll call them, is it like almost like an Ironman competition? Yeah. What is the hardest section to do? It's different for everybody. Um, For me, the hardest part is the board, probably. Mm. I'm not particularly strong in a board and I can find it quite challenging. Mm -hmm. Um, A few years ago, or in 2018, I competed in the Koolangatta Gold, which is like quite a long event. It's held on the Gold Coast. Um, 
And so it starts off with a long ski paddle and then a run. So it's a 42k event. Oh. It took about a four and a half hours um, for me to finish. Oh, that's such a long time. And the board was quite near the end and I was paddling along the board and I had this Coke bottle strapped to the front of the board so that I could take sips on it through mm. a straw while I was paddling. And I'd try to take sips through it and I'd get water up my nose and I couldn't oh. breathe when I was trying to drink from it. So I was just paddling on this board in the middle of the ocean <laughs> next to absolutely nowhere, nobody. And I think I had a little cry during yeah. that board paddle all out there on my own, trying to drink but not being able to. It was just horrific. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'd say the board is yeah. the hardest part for me. Alternatively, what is your favourite section? Uh, my favourite section is probably the swim. Yeah. Just because it's my strongest, I yeah. think. Um, I, uh, yeah, I grew up swimming, so it's probably where I'm most comfortable. Do you ever think about maths while you're swimming? Um, sometimes uh, I'll think about my, this year particularly, I'd think about my honours project and mm. think about how I could structure sentences if I was really stuck on something or that sort of thing. Um, not so much maths. I can remember in school I would recite lit essays and oh. French, um, my little French <laughs> things for the oral exam. I can yeah. remember reciting them in my head in the swimming pool. Yeah. Um, but I think uh, maths, to, to do any real productive maths in the swimming pool, I think I'd need to focus on it a lot. And yeah. I, I think it gets a bit hard when you're up and down and trying to count laps as well. Would you ever do an ad for Nutrigrain or Wheat Bix? Yeah, absolutely. That would be a lifelong goal for me, yeah. I think. Um, I've always said that my, yeah, I would love more than anything. Yeah, it'd be really cool to be on an ad um, for Wheat Bix or Nutrigrain. I don't think that's where my career pathway is taking me, but I, I used to really look up to those Iron Men who were on those ads. Um, I can remember with, when I think it was Kane Eckstein did Dancing with the Stars, and oh. I've always said I wanted to try becoming a Nutrigrain athlete just so that I could go on Dancing with the Stars mm -hmm. and learn how to dance. Mm -hmm. That's always been my career goal, but yeah. it's not looking like it's going to happen. But uh, I'd love to be on Dancing with the Stars yeah. one day. Podcasting takeoff enough <laughs> to get me over to Dancing with the Stars. Thinking about, say, climate change, for example, mm -hmm. where do you see maths fitting in with the problem solving around that? I think maths... Da and big data as well play a huge role in how we kind of identify and also tackle climate change. Um, just on the first part, a lot of the climate change models are physical models about what's happening to the environment, but we need a lot of maths to kind of interpolate mm. them and also um, kind of uh, predict their uncertainty. Um, but also I think maths is going to play a huge role in tackling that a lot of the um, events that come up and mm. the changing environment and the impacts on um, uh, species and basically everything, I think we're going to need to use maths. And to try to model that. in order to guess what's going to happen. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. As a young person, mm -hmm. do you feel like your generation are listened to? Kind of in a broader, I guess, society sense, because you're looking to solve problems. Yeah. Do you feel like in the world of academia, young people are listened to and they're like, I think we could try this out? Or is it kind of just go to the oldies and you've got to kind of just follow in line? Yeah, that's a really good question. I, I haven't given it a lot of thought and it, it's never something that 
I've particularly identified with during my time. Um, I guess being an honor student, I, I don't think I really have the experience to be fully respected yet. Um, but I think in wider society, perhaps not, not so much. I think we're seeing a lot of groundswell from younger people saying we really need to be acting on climate change. There's things that really need to change. And I think that's not really being heard by government. Uh, so in that regard, I definitely say that young young people aren't necessarily having their voice heard but i think the tides are slowly changing there hopefully if we were to force you to look forward in your career yeah (laughs) (laughs) so probably purely hypothetically in which case Mm -hmm. if you could solve a type of problem or a particular problem what would you like to solve uh or is there a particular area that you go oh i'd really like to get stuck into that as a topic Look, beyond the kind of climate uh, area that I've just been discussing and also Mm. natural disaster response and recovery, because that would be huge if I could make an impact in there. Um, Possibly another area would be educational inequality. Um, In my work with Ignite Mentoring, that's something that my eyes have really been open to. And if we could use some kind of statistical modelling tool to identify which students are going to struggle before they actually start struggling Mm. and target specifics support to them i think some kind of system like that i don't know if it's feasible but i think something like that would just be incredible and um, really important to society who do you look up to slash who inspires you i would have to say beyond my family obviously and my parents because i very much look up to them um i would definitely say my supervisors at uwa um one of my supervisors this year for my honours project, Edward Cripps, um, he's very much the antithesis of what you would expect from kind of a mathematician. You always think of them as being somebody who's kind of locked up in their room all day, kind of like Russian or German and very antisociable. But he's just the absolute coolest guy. He's <laughs> all, he seems to always yeah be surfing or oh. have just finished surfing or something. Um, he works really hard. Um, he's incredibly intelligent, but also very generous with his time. And he's helped me out a huge amount this year. So I would say that he's somebody that I've looked up to. And I'm, I'm really grateful to have had him as a mentor this year. What motivates you to keep going? Um, in terms of my study, I'm very much motivated by what's going on out in the world. Um, we see a lot of pretty tough things going on, whether that be educational inequality, climate change, air pollution political division all kinds of things um that it can can sometimes be quite upsetting looking out there um and so i'd love to in my career be able to even make a small change in one of those areas i think that's probably what keeps me motivated the thought that maybe i'd be able to do something to make a small difference what role or responsibility do you think scientists or you know mathematicians or anyone with that kind of knowledge base and um, kind of training, what role do you think they have in speaking out and trying to influence politics and trying to in- influence public opinion? Yeah, absolutely. It's really hard. And I think recently we've kind of seen a rise of misinformation and people having less and less trust in scientists Mm. um we saw people kind of revolting against covid like lockdowns also like anti-vaxxers all that kind of thing um a lot of people are almost yeah losing trust in science um i'm not really sure what we can do to try and fix that i think it's a really tough issue um 
but it's something that we're going to need to come to uh, together as a community to try and solve because it's been having some pretty wide-reaching ramifications. What are some misconceptions of being someone who studies maths? What do people say? If you're, like you said, yeah. if you're like, I don't know, out of a club, let's say out of a club, <laughs> say, if someone says, hey, what do you do? And you're like, I study maths. What, yeah. what are your misconceptions you come up against? Absolutely. When I say I study maths, I get one of two responses. So the first response is, oh, I hated maths in school, mm-hmm. which I get all the time. Um, and then the second response is, oh, what are you going to do with a maths degree? Oh, um, wow. They re- yeah. And I think a that's a very common question <laughs> because if you study law, then you're going to become a lawyer. If you study medicine, you're going to mm-hmm. become a doctor. If you study engineering, you're going to become an engineer. Maths is not really like that. There's, I don't know if there's really such thing as a mathematician yeah. other than if you're in research. Um, I think maths opens doors to huge range of careers um, and so it's not as simple as you do a maths degree you become this and so I find it quite hard to answer that question but I think it's definitely a misconception that uh, having a maths degree is unemployable yeah. or not going to get you anywhere because yeah. I think it's, uh, the problem solving skills and the logical reasoning are relevant to absolutely everything. Mm. Another misconception I'd say is probably that the mathematicians are just very nerdy and anti-sociable. Um, all my cohort, or all six of us in the statistics all group, um, <laughs> they're so kind, sociable people. All of them have heaps of other things going on, whether they be sporting, musical, definitely not a nerdy group. Well, I think we've all got a lot of inner nerds in us. Yeah. I definitely say I have an inner nerd, um, but just a really cool, awesome group of people. Mm. Depending on who you're with, are you more likely to lead with your uh, talents in sport or your love of maths? I would always go love of maths. I think <laughs> I've always um, liked to try and define myself by working hard in academics yeah. rather than sports, I think. Being a young person and just at kind of the start of some of your the bigger parts of your career, especially with having gotten the scholarship, are you ever worried about burnout and running out of energy? I hope I haven't just like made you think about the first time. <laughs> um, burnout's not something that I think about uh, massively. I think I'm a pretty motivated and driven per- person and I've got a really great support mm. network there. Um, I think I've been very lucky in that even though I do have a range of pursuits, they balance each other out pretty well. Mm -hmm. So when I'm feeling burnt out from study, I can go down to the beach and train. When I'm burnt out at training, I can go and spend time with people from Ignite. So um, I think as long as I continue to choose things that complement and balance each other out well so that I can take a break from one thing by doing another, um, hopefully I should be fine. But It's usually the key. And kind of following that thought when you get out of bed in the morning are you excited for the day or are you ever just like oh I'd really like to sleep in so my alarm goes off at 4 57 every every morning I love this it's so specific I've got it um down pat so that I know exactly when I need to wake up so that I can get to swimming training on on time without waking up a minute too early wow so yeah my alarm goes off at 4 57 every morning and every morning I wake up and I think oh 
maybe I should just have this morning of swimming. <laughs> um, but then I get up and go. Yeah. So at the very start of the day, not particularly optimistic. I find that normally by the end of swimming, I've got the adrenaline, yeah. got some endorphins pumping and I'm ready to take on the day. Mm. What time do you go to bed then? Um, very early, normally yeah. 8.30. I try to be asleep <laughs> by 9. I find yeah. if I'm asleep at 9.01, then I'm just in the worst mood the mm-hmm. next day. 8.59, I'm an angel. So <laughs> I don't know what it is about the 9 o'clock barrier, but I find if I'm asleep before 9, then it, it helps me stay productive. But what about weekends? Do you take weekends to have fun? Uh, yeah, we normally have Saturday morning off training. Good. And so Friday night's normally my fun, yes, <laughs> fun night. Um, and I definitely have – I'm very lucky to have a group of friends who are also um, tend to be somewhat busy. And yes. so they're very understanding if I've got things on and we just make time for each other when we can. And it's like we've, yeah, been together all week. In the final section of the podcast, it happens every single week. If someone doesn't know that we're about to do this, I'll be very surprised. (laughs) But I would love to know your most favourite fun fact that you've learnt through the course of your time at uni. Yeah, so I think probably my favourite fun fact that I learned in my first year stats course was that if you properly shuffle a deck of cards then it's more than likely that the exact order of the cards has never been seen before in the whole history of the universe. So the I think it's pretty cool because it's just with 52 cards. Wow. Well, cards haven't really been around that long. Uh, but, but still. But with just 52 cards that you can... Because there's so many something. possibilities. Yeah. Wow. I think it's 52 factorial, I think. That's a big number. Yeah. Yeah. Huge. Oh, that's a wonderful fun fact. It's very like, I feel like that's a good one to call on at a party. I like that a lot. Yeah. Well, thank you so, so, so much for coming on the podcast today, Max. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to the Particle Podcast. You can find more of our content on all of the socials as well as at particle.scitech.org.au. Particle is powered by SciTech and everything we make is made in the wonderful science hub that is Western Australia on Wadjuk country. 